I want to start by saying that not everyone has to make money with their podcast. It's kind of a revolutionary statement to make. The fact is like, you don't have to, you can make stuff for the love of it. But for those of us who do want to make some money from their podcast, there's a few options for, for monetizing what you do. Shows that are able to successfully monetize or successfully promote products and advertisers uh, are those that have a connection with their audience, are able to talk directly to their audience and convey an endorsement of that product. It boils down to that. You know, these hosts are influencers. Welcome back to the Podcasters Playbook, the place where podcasters like you can join podcasters like us and learn about everything you'll need to start a podcast or take the one you've already started to the next level. The last few episodes, we've shown you how to build your idea out into your own brand and your own show. We've established that you need an idea. We've heard from unique creators and how they got started. We've talked about the importance of your voice, your unique sense of self in your show and we've helped you set up your recording studio and so so much more this week we're getting into advertising where the money is oh yeah the money this is basically the reason why everybody does their podcast because they want to become famous and make money and podcasting is set to become a billion dollar industry very soon in fact, in just the last couple of years, advertising revenue in podcasting has gone from 37 and $40 million a year to over $220 million last year and rising this year. And the people that listen to podcasts are the people that companies want to reach. In general, they skew to be about 55% male, and they're typically between the ages of 18 and 54. Although there's been a lot of efforts to get kids into podcasting lately, so we'll see how that number changes. But for the most part, the audience is composed of business influencers. And that's not all, because 80% of those listeners have full-time jobs, and 30% are executives or managers. And another 49% actually make the business purchasing decisions for their job. So if you're a company looking to get your product in the hands of large corporations or even small startups, podcasting is a great place to spend those advertising dollars. And as a podcaster who's going to be selling their own podcast, you need to know this. So how do you become part of that money? How do you get advertisers on your show? Very important questions. On the last episode, we talked about the importance of taking time to build a strong connection with your audience. Now, that strong connection is going to be very important because that is what's going to drive your podcast to be able to make money. Right. And to get that strong connection, you need to be consistent. The same consistency is what is going to make your show even more attractive to potential advertisers. Part of our business as a seller is to be able to convey to these agencies and advertisers of the relationship and our partnership with these shows um, and that we can all count on them. That's John Garbel, vice president of new business development for Midroll Media. Knowing that I have a show that I represent and I can count on them to publish a show every week, it makes it easier to be confident in selling it. Um, when you're working with agencies and major brands and advertisers, uh, this is big business. It might not mean big business in terms of the money that the show's generating, but it's big business overall. It allows the agencies to have confidence in partnering with 
a seller, right, or a network, you know, or a seller that has a network of shows and is confident that, hey, this guy, you know, Garbo, has got, I got this network of shows and I can always count on him. Um, his information is correct. His shows always publish when they say they're going to publish. They always follow through with what they're going to do and they can trust us. From a sales perspective, when you're working to monetize your show, no matter if you have representation or you're doing it yourself, consistency is key. Consistency and professionalism. Um, there's a difference between going from just publishing a show to being a professional you know, host. And when you get to that point, though, then you have to be professional. It's like any other job. You have to show up. You have to put your time in. You have to work hard. And if you do those things, then you will succeed and you'll, and you'll be able to um, move forward. Now, before you can even head into the market, you need to know what you're dealing with. There are three main audio ad placements that you can offer during your show. Now, if you're already a podcast listener, you're probably pretty familiar with them. You've got your top of the hour or top of the show pre-roll, which offers value to your advertiser by bringing their name to the top of your show because it's literally the first thing your audience will hear. It's a premier position for any advertiser. But of course, it can't just be an ad. You have to have started your show. You've got to be you. You've got to be telling the people what's going on. That ad has to feel like it's part of your show. Second, you've got your middle of the show, after the break, so to speak, ad spot, the mid-roll. The mid-roll is very valuable because you've already hooked your listeners into the episode. You've got their attention, and they're listening, and they want more. They want to hear what's going on. So this ad comes in the middle of your conversation, and it's not a, hey, hang on a minute while we talk to you about something you don't really want to hear. These ads work effectively if you can integrate them into the show. For instance, you're talking to someone about what happened the day before, and in the middle of the conversation, something comes up about the internet. You ask them, have you ever tried to build your own website? And they'll say, well, yeah, but it's so hard. And you just happen to have an internet website builder that is your advertiser. You roll right into the spot, and then you go back to your conversation when you're done. And, of course, the final ad spot is the post-roll. Keeping people locked in to listen to the post-roll is very difficult. But let's face it, you took money from this advertiser, so it's your job to make it entertaining and keep them there so you can get that message across. There are a boatload of creative ways you can do that, whether you integrate it into what you're doing, create a separate segment, or maybe you even put outtakes and blooper material after that and tell the audience it's there so they'll listen through the spot to get to the other material. All right, so you have your pre-, mid-, and post-rolls. Generally speaking, prices for these placements are going to depend on your audience numbers. How many impressions are your advertisers going to get for their buck? Typically for a 15-second pre-roll, the standard is about an $18 CPM. And for a 60-second mid-roll, it's about a $25 CPM. Now, if you're confused by CPM, don't worry. It's a traditional marketing and advertising term as cost per thousand impressions. But don't worry, I gotcha. It's CP, cost per, M, or 1,000 in Roman numerals. See, we're even teaching you ancient languages here. So in theory, if you have 2 million downloads and you have 4 ads at a $25 CPM, you'd make $200,000 an episode. Of course, that's in theory. You can scale that down to a realistic number and, and see what you'll be making. These numbers may seem to be in flux and, you know, they might seem trivial, but incorrectly pricing your podcast can not only hurt your revenue, but it can also hurt the relationship you have with your advertiser. Probably the biggest mistakes are either uh, the host or the show thinks they're bigger than they are, 
or they think they're smaller than they are. On those extremes, if you if you think you're bigger than than you are, um, and that you deserve more money than other shows of similar size are getting, um, you might not be able to monetize your show because you're effectively overpricing um, your audience. You're you're overpricing what you can bring to the table. So don't get yourself so eager to make money that you ignore the market and ignore the standard pricing because it may not seem like a lot, but it adds up over time. Every time they put a few dollars on the table, your pile gets higher. Host reads are just a few of the tools that you have at your disposal, but know that there's no one way to go about making money on your podcast. Absolutely right. To talk through your monetization options, we spoke with someone who's made their podcast into a fiscal success and now uses that experience to teach and make podcasting accessible to others. I'm Amanda McLaughlin. I am an independent podcast host and producer. Um, I founded the production collective Multitude, and I co-host the shows Spirits, Waystation, and the audio drama, which is called Join the Party. Amanda was part of the YouTube community back in 2007, before you could monetize your efforts there. It was about building an audience and making those connections. So it makes perfect sense that her show is successfully tapped into an audience and gets 1.5 million downloads an episode. She knows the time and the effort it takes to build that connection. I so strongly believe that if you treat your relationship with your listeners of the utmost importance, everything else flows from there. If you have listeners that love you, you know, and love the show that you make and believe in you and want to help you, they will help grow your show. They will recommend new listeners. They will contribute money. Um, And that in turn grows your show, that grows your reach, that grows your download numbers. And that is what gets you toward a place where you get corporate sponsors. How do you find those people in the first place? You know, we talked about audience building in our last episode, but Amanda, you have millions of downloads. Are there particular audiences that you went after? Are there certain audiences that are more attentive or more willing to help spread your show? I think that you can um, design for success and you can be really smart about the ways in which you try to get your show in front of people who are going to like it. Um, but all you can do is be available to people who you think will be predisposed to like your show. Other than that, it's up to them. But to be honest, the best promotional tool that we have is on our podcast saying, listen, hey, listener, you, we need your help to grow the show. And if you could pause the podcast right now, text a friend who doesn't listen to podcasts and tell them, hey, you would super love the show when we hang out tonight or tomorrow or next week. I'm going to show you how to download a podcast and really just helping grow the overall pie of podcast listeners. I'm not interested in competing for, you know, the like last podcast slot in a given listeners app. You know, I want to compete with TV and I want to compete with, you know, books and streaming and uh, newspapers and like lying on your couch, looking up at the ceiling. Like I want people who don't listen to podcasts to start and having individual listeners convert their friends and grandparents and coworkers is the way to do that. Because we live in the podcasting world and we are in these big cities, these big media hubs where podcasting is a thing, it is happening. I think we forget the number of people who aren't listening to podcasts. According to Edison Research, 112 million Americans have listened to a podcast at some point. 73 million Americans listen to podcasts monthly and 42 million Americans listen every week. Those numbers went up from 2016, and they definitely went up from 67 million in 2017. 
As we mentioned, they've been growing steadily since about 2014 with the introduction of the podcast app on the ever-ubiquitous iPhone. Nevertheless, watching TV is still the number one leisure activity of all Americans, according to the Department of Labor Time Use Survey. But that doesn't mean you can't get listeners, and you can't get followers, and you can't get people to get psyched about your show. It doesn't mean you won't make any money. Instead, it means that we all need to try and help grow the industry. We need people like Amanda, who are sharing their tips and tricks at conferences and online, so that people who might not have been into podcasts or never tried to make one, they can try it. They can push further. They can reach their friends. They can reach new people. Because the bigger the reach and the total podcast audience in general gets, the more we can all be tapping into that advertising money that's coming into the pool. All these advertisers will bring more and more of their marketing budgets into the world of podcasting. And remember, the podcast ad has a huge action ratio. The reason that sponsors buy ads on podcasts and they don't just rent billboards or buy TV commercials is that a recommendation means something when it comes from a person you know and trust. If you watch a commercial on TV, that just means that a company was big enough to produce a commercial and buy a commercial on the major network. But if a friend says, listen, buddy, these shoes are the most comfortable shoes that I've ever worn. You've got to try them. That actually means something. If your mom is like, honey, this is the laundry detergent that you have to have. Trust me, you got to do it. You do it. And so in the middle of those two extremes is a person whose voice you allow into your life and your headphones every week. Someone who maybe you followed for years and, and know and trust and love or an expert who is, you know, connected to a lot of people you admire and has a perspective that you really value. So hearing an endorsement and hearing the host talk about like the product that they sampled or the service that they've tried, it means something when it's being said by a source that you trust. That is why the ads are so effective. But that's also why you have to be really selective as to how you spend that influence. Oh, you are tapping into one of my favorite topics, choosing your partners and choosing your advertisers. It's not just who comes to you with the biggest buy or the most money. It's who you actually want to lend your voice to because it's your voice. Exactly. The thing that makes podcasts so special, which is the intimacy, it's the small community, it's the, you know, the strength of the connection between the audience and the host. That means that you have a lot to lose and it is really, really hard to win back once you do. So I always counsel fellow podcasters to only do ads for services that they actually like, that they actually would buy. But you are, you know, endorsing something, whether or not you say, I love this product, even reading it in your voice is an endorsement. So it is, it's really important to be selective about the partners that you work with and the ads that you read. It keeps coming back to the same point. Podcasting is authentic and you need to be authentic. And that includes in your monetization efforts. So don't sell out to big brand names just for the sake of money. Your audience will know if you're lying. They'll know if you're just reading copy. They'll hear it. They'll understand it. If you don't believe in the product, don't try to sell it. They know you better than you think. John Garbo echoed this in his host read philosophy. Shows that are able to successfully monetize or successfully promote products and advertisers uh, are those that have a connection with their audience, are able to talk directly to their audience and convey an endorsement of that product. It boils down to that. You know, these hosts are influencers. The biggest thing is allow the hosts to talk to their audience the way that they do the show. 
you allow the host, you being an advertiser or an agency representing advertisers, allow the host to talk to their audience um, about you know your products and services the way they do their show, then it really becomes part of the show. And if it's part of the show, then the engagement level of that audience is consistent from content to sponsors. And because of that, they're more engaged, they're more attentive. The endorsement of the hosts gives it credence and um, allows the audience to have faith in those products or services. And, you know, the hosts are telling the audience, uh, you know, support the show, support the sponsors. You know, the key is really to allow the host to make it their own and to keep it consistent with their show. We mentioned this in the very first episode, but it bears repeating. Remember that one third of podcast listeners took some sort of action as a result of a podcast advertisement. Podcasting is an opt-in medium. You don't just stumble upon it. You chose to download this show. You are choosing to listen to it right now. You are a loyal and trusting audience. And when you advertise to your audience, they're going to trust that you're telling them about products that you like when you do a host read. We should point out that within these audio ad placements, there are also many different creative formats that these ads can take. Host reads tend to be the most common one, especially as podcasting was getting started. This is where the host is literally putting their name and their voice and their credit behind the product. Wow, I used it. It's great. You should too. Sometimes it's scripted, and sometimes they're just using bullet points or telling you about their experience with the product. But the important part is it comes straight from the host themselves. There are some really great ways to do this as well. You don't have to be plain. You don't have to be boring. I mean, if the client gives you creative freedom, do something fun. I mean, how many times can you hear the same message about the same brands? I think my favorite example of a really creative and fun host read comes from the Answer Me This podcast with Helen and Ollie. Helen spoke about it at the Work It Podcast Festival in L.A. in 2017, and she said that they were just so tired of host reads, they decided to make them into songs. I don't know if you've ever helped your mum build a website. It is the kind of torment from which there is no respite. If she asks, what's a widget again? I will kill her with a rusty spike. Or a brick or a spade or a chainsaw. Is so easy, even your mum can use it. She can drag and drop and cut and paste, that's all there is to it. So, Helen, put that spike down, I beg you, for Christ's sake, don't do it! Sorry, mum. Well, that was pretty creative stuff. But there are also pre recorded spots that your advertiser might give to you. Custom segments that might require a bit more legwork and presenting sponsorships. Like Benstown is supporting the podcast playbook. And of course, there's the branded series, which is an entire series of shows which are sponsored by one company who may or may not even have anything to do with the content that comes out. They just want to own that series. So these are all tools that you can keep in mind when you go out and you pitch your show to advertisers. And one way to keep it authentic is to find brands that are already in your everyday life, things you're already using or trying for your show, and ask them to partner with you. You can capitalize on those little connections that you've already formed. Here's Amanda again. For Join the Party, the audio drama um, and gaming podcast that I co-host, one of our sponsors who sponsors every single episode of our show is a local independent game store in Brooklyn that we buy our dice and our board games from. Our game store, 20-Sided Store, was really interested in just getting the name of independent stores out there. And they, until recently, didn't even have an online store. 
So most of our listeners who don't live in New York City couldn't even buy anything from that store. But they were just so excited to say, like, we are the local game store of this podcast. They sponsor every single episode of our show. And it's been a really exciting way to kind of bring a brick and mortar business into the world of kind of international, you know, web-based non-geographical podcasting. Depending on where you're podcasting from, there could be local businesses that want to be involved. I've seen national sponsors and small-time mom-and-pop shops all put their money into podcasting over the past few years. So you have to have your eyes on both and be willing to make the phone call. And that phone call or that message is going to sound a little bit like this. Hi, my name's John. I have a podcast. <laughs> my podcast um, is about true crime. I have 5,000 active listeners to my show. And the overall, you know, gender breakout is female. I know that your product is, you know, female skewing. I know that you are involved in other true crime TV shows, radio shows, other podcasts. I'm a big fan of your product. And I think my audience would be a big fan of your product. And I'd like the opportunity to have you as a sponsor on my show and tell my audience about your product. For my personal show, I never actually reached out to the brands that I wanted to advertise on our show. I thought that we were too small. I thought we needed to have a larger audience that would actually show them some sort of very large and huge impact, I suppose. And I think that's because I work in marketing. I know the numbers that larger shows are getting versus what we were doing on the side. And a lot of DIY podcasters have this sort of conundrum where you need listeners to get advertisers, but you also need the money from the advertisers to be able to make your show and grow your audience, you know, paying for promotion to get the audience numbers. You are so right. So the previous episode we did should have given you some ideas on how to grow your audience. And this episode is assuming that you've got them hooked. And now you can make money creating content for that audience. I think if you are confident that an ad on your podcast would make at least two people go and try a service or buy a product, you're able to go show yourself in front of sponsors. If you're confident that your audience likes a certain product or they trust your voice or you have a, an enthusiastic podcast about like different kinds of post-it notes and you can go to the maker of one of your favorite kinds of post-its and be like, listen, this audience, they want to buy stuff that I love. They want me to review stuff. They want to buy the best of it. And if you pay me $50 for an ad on my podcast, I am pretty sure that I can get you at least two sales, that I can get you at least a $25 CPA, meaning the cost of acquisition of one sale. So a sponsor spends 50 bucks, they get at least two sales. So they spent effectively $25 per sale per signup. And that's a pretty average number. Uh, sponsors are generally looking to spend between $15 and $30 on podcasts per acquisition per signup. So if you think about it, that number is pretty small. You know, like if, if you have at least a handful of acquisitions of sales of signups that you're pretty sure you can do. It doesn't matter how many listens you have. You can have 10 listens, but all 10 people you know are there, are primed, are excited, listen to your show. That's enough. These numbers are your DIY, just started sort of download numbers. Meaning you can make money on your podcast without having to prove that you actually have an audience. You can even start pitching advertisers and partners before you've launched your show. And to get big brands who will pay more for an ad, you'll need to have at least 10,000 downloads an episode. To make good money on your podcast series, think 50,000 downloads. 
And if you're looking to have an agency or network represent you so that you don't have to go out and pitch your podcast, you're looking somewhere in between those two numbers. The benefit of having an agency or network is that they have working relationships with the advertising agencies already, so you don't have to do the work. They make the phone call, they say what your show is about, they talk about the audience, they make the sale. Of course, they keep part of the money. But you are competing against hundreds of thousands of other podcasts. And podcasting companies have a limit to how many shows they can and will take. So you have to have built your audience and you have to have already connected with that audience and be able to prove that you connected with that audience. And that's why you do it with smaller clients who will tell your story and give you the testimonials that you need. Really, at this point in this industry, the agencies that are representing those advertisers are the ones that are going out and reaching out to shows. So if they're reaching out to the shows, they're saying, hey, you have an audience, doesn't matter how big it is, but we want to pay you X amount of dollars for you to talk about and endorse our product. The only place for advertisers and agencies to look for shows really is the iTunes ranker, if you will, right? So if you're developing a show and you're looking to get your name out there, if you can put your get your show on that iTunes ranker and get it on the, you know, the new shows or the recommended shows or the hot shows or whatever those ranker lists are, then advertisers and agencies will find you and they'll reach out to you direct. If you're not there yet or you're not interested in pitching your show to a network, then you need to make it easy for advertisers to find you. Aside from going out and pitching your show, put an advertise with us button on your website. Put your contact information in the credits of your show and tap into your network and see who would partner with you. By the way, it doesn't have to be money that you're bartering with either. We talked a little bit about those startup costs in our second episode. You'll need tile art. You might want a website. You'll need someone to edit your podcast. And you'll have to find savvy ways to partner with these people without going broke. My friend designed our logo for our personal show, and I made sure that her name and her website were in the credits of every single episode. I also put it on the website to make sure that people could find her. Amanda and her team did a very similar deal. It's really just about tapping into your connections, being humble, asking, being nice, giving them something in return, and you know, seeing what your network can do for you because people want to help you. People want to see you grow. It's like decorating an apartment. Either you can spend a bunch of money to get a bunch of furniture in one place and it's easy and it's fast and it's done tomorrow, or you can, you know, over several months, garbage pick and thrift and, you know, go to garage sales and use the free section of Craigslist. You know, if people are treating this like a a labor of love, put some planning in, give yourself a couple of months, think really, really strategically about who do I know? What do I have to offer? It doesn't have to be money. It can be skills. It can be barter. It can be, you know, introductions. It can be a favor to ask or community members, you know, to lean on, but really look holistically, not just at how much money you can put in, but what you have at your disposal and who you know who can help you bring this project into the world. Once you have an audience, you can always offer them more ways to get additional content from you. I know, additional and more. Sounds a little crazy considering everything we're telling you how to do, but you can look into doing live shows, which, you know, kind of kills two birds with one stone because you're recording your show and you're also making money off the live event. And the reason that you'll probably want to sell tickets for this is because you're going to want a venue. You're going to want some sort of nice setup so that you can record your show and publish it later. You're going to want to make sure that there are food and drink available for them. And you may need to pay for lights and sounds, depending on how nice a venue you're grabbing. Something you can also do at your live shows or just put up on your website is merchandise. 
Like maybe you have a phrase that you say on your show all the time or that your listeners would want on a T-shirt or a mug. Or maybe you talk about delicious muffins all the time and you have someone design a pin of your blueberry muffin from episode 40. There are ways to do it for free. Threadless or Cafe Press are two sites that allow you for no money at all to like upload a design and have people order products with that design on it. For Spirits through DFTBA, which is an independent kind of record label that grew into an online merch company, uh, we sell shirts and actually enamel pins with different kind of drawings of the goddesses that we've discussed on the show. Have you been able to see if anybody's gotten a pillow? Uh, yes, we have one person who was a pillow uh, and she yes. sent us yeah, a photo of her dog sitting on the pillow, which uh, I for a time had as my phone background wallpaper. It was very cute. What this episode really boils down to is that there are going to be costs to starting your podcast. We want to help you figure out how you're going to pay for those costs And it may be through the ways we've discussed already, but there are a few other methods. Oh, yeah, there are a number of ways, like communities where you can get funding. One popular one is Patreon, where people put their content up and then charge a small fee for anyone to download it. There are other folks who start Kickstarter campaigns, too. The idea behind all of these is that you've created a community of listeners who love you and love your show enough to contribute money to get more of your content. For a lot of people, that helps to pay for the equipment, social ads, or editing software. It also helps to cover the basics so you can improve and grow your audience, then gain advertisers and potentially make money. you got to prepare for that, though. So create a separate bank account just for your show. If you're confident enough, set up a business license under your show's name. So that way you can keep personal life and show life separate and keep track of the payments that you're making. And the more expenses and the more sponsors you get, start to take track of those even closer. Amanda created an accounting spreadsheet that you can download and use for your own show. We'll put a link to that in the episode show notes. Again, all of what you're hearing right now is why you have to love what you're doing. You have to love doing this podcast. Not all shows take off and not all shows make money. Most make zero dollars. So you've got to be excited to make the show and expect no money in return. The money is a bonus. The money is a benefit. The money is gravy. While I think it is really possible to make a show, to design it to be commercially successful, and to hope that an audience finds you, and to get a lot of satisfaction out of being able to reach other people with your work, you can't get in it for fame, and you can't get in it for money. And I think getting into podcasting, or really anything, for those two reasons, is just going to set you up for emotional heartache and cynicism um, and really just a poisonous attitude that I think is really palpable. You can tell when people are, you know, in it for reasons that, you know, that you wouldn't start a show for. So maybe you wait to start your show and instead you gain some more experience by helping someone else with their show. There are a lot of brands out there looking for freelance producers these days to help produce their branded shows. So if you're looking to get experience in the industry, but you don't have an idea that you're all hyped up about, or you're not ready to launch your own show yet, there are other opportunities out there to work and learn. If you're freelancing and looking to figure out your pricing, either how much you should be paying someone or how much you should be getting paid, there are some really great resource groups online that you should look into. One of them is AIR, which is Association of Independence in Radio. Other resources include the Google group Ladios or Ladies in Radio. There are also a whole bunch of other regional groups. 
Then there are the gatherings. This year in the U.S. alone, there is Podcast Movement in Philadelphia, PodCon in Seattle, the Podcast Multimedia Festival in Orlando, Third Coast in Chicago, Potter and Love in New Orleans, The Rain Summit, Now Hear This in New York, Work It in L.A., and if you live in the Great White North, Canada's got Pod Summit, and if you want to take a trip to the Outback, Australia's got AudioCraft, OzPod, and We Are Podcast. Small but mighty, you'll find that as Betsy said in our last episode, podcasters roll deep. Everyone wants to grow this industry, so you're going to find that people are very happy to help offer some knowledge. Thanks to John Garbo, VP of New Business Dev at Midroll Media, and Amanda McLaughlin, who drew on her past experience in finance and accounting and her current experience in podcasting to share their insights with us this episode. You can find Amanda on social media via She's So Mickey or through her shows, spiritspodcast.com, waystationpod.com, or jointhepartypod.com. On the next episode of the Podcaster's Playbook, we sit down with New York-based composer Serene Patel, and we dive into an element of your podcast that not only will brand it, but elevate it and bring your audience deeper into your world. And our friends at Benstown to talk about the importance of music to your podcast and how to score your show. All that and more on the next episode. Thanks for listening. The Podcaster's Playbook is brought to you by Benstown Branding and Podcast Services. Go to Benstown.com to find out more.